Hi, this is Doug Green with What Really Matters Interviews. And what I like doing is interviewing people who have extraordinary stories and have great lessons about life, about business, and what really matters in life. And today, I am really stoked to be interviewing Stephanie Yu. Now, to give you a little bit of background about Stephanie, she is exploring the United States on two wheels. She's actually traveling around the country on a scooter, a 250cc scooter. You know, like those things you see in the movies for in Italy. And there are a lot of people that like to travel around the country on motorcycles. And that's one thing. They've got big engines and lots of stories and all of that. But to do it on a scooter is, an ex- in my mind, something that is pretty extraordinary. But beyond that, what I'm really intrigued with about Stephanie is her perspective. She's Asian-American. She multicultural. She grew up in both the United States and in China, in Beijing and Hong Kong. So she has a different perspective than many other people do in this country. And she, while she's traveling around, she's also working as a children's book illustrator. She's been capturing drawings of what she sees. So we're going to explore so much today about what really matters. One of the cool things about riding on a motorcycle is you can only take so much stuff. So you really have to get down to the essentials and nothing else. So without further ado, I'm going to let Stephanie explain to us what she's doing and why. And then we'll, we'll do a deeper dive into um, exploring how she got started in this what life is like on the road, kind of what the day-to-day is like, sort of the bigger picture as you're traveling around the country. You know, how are you thinking? How are you planning on where you're going next and all of that? And also, what lessons has she learned? What has she learned about herself? What has she learned about others? What has she learned about this country? And lastly, we'll end with some tips and suggestions for others that may want to do something like this and follow their dreams. So, Stephanie, welcome. Why don't you tell us what you're doing? Give us a nice 50,000-foot view of what you're doing, where you've been, and all of that. So, hi, I'm Stephanie, uh, and I've been riding around North America for about three and a half years now uh, on my uh, Vespa GTS 250, so a 250cc scooter. Um, I've ridden 49 U.S. states or five Canadian provinces now, some of Canada and uh, Baja, Mexico. And I think I've been coast to coast three times. I work as a children's book illustrator. um, So I usually I work as I go. And right now I'm in Cambridge, Mass. Let's go back to how this all started. Tell uh, some of your background that led to you. You're wanting to actually get on a scooter and travel around the country and explore. And for that, by the way, there is a video of this. But if you're just listening to the podcast, uh, let me, as I look at Stephanie, she's in her late 20s, early 30s. She's Asian American. She has blue hair. It's intriguing. Like, it's not what you would expect when you're, if, when you think of adventure motorcyclist. It takes people off guard sometimes. Well, um, first of all, to see like a Vespa with so much luggage on it roll up anywhere. It looks a little ridiculous. And then like, if I take my helmet off, it hasn't always been blue. This is a recent blue, but it was usually like red and black, or I think it was purple. (laughs) Colors, lots of different colors. (laughs) (laughs) Right. When you can't carry very much. um, It's like I wear the same thing every single day, pretty much same gear. So Mm. eh, this is one thing that I can change up. Okay, so let's dive into how you got into this. Uh, Where did you grow up? I was born in America. I grew up in Atlanta and then moved to Beijing when we were, I think it was nine, eight or nine, and then to Hong Kong, where my parents are originally from. Uh, I only got back to the U.S. for college, for university. I went to uh, New York. And even then, like New York is so, um, it has a gravity about it. So people tend not to leave New York. So I had a very narrow vision of America, a narrow understanding of America. New York is 
not like the rest of America. Um, and so that is, was part of when I, when the extended motorcycle travel bug bit me, and I knew that you know I, this sounded like something I wanted to do. I figured exploring the country that I'm supposed to be from, that I know nothing about, that would be a good place to start. I mean, it's, America is huge. It's it's a huge landmass, uh, lots of different cultures, and um, geo- just geographically diverse too. It, it's beautiful. So, and a lot of I think a lot of Americans take it for granted, and they don't think of their own country as like a place worth exploring. But so that's how it was born to like, just we'll start here. And then it kind of just grew into Canada and Mexico because I have friends in Canada and I've heard good things about Baja. So let's talk about the feeling that you had inside though, that said, I got to get a scooter and go ride around the country. It it didn't really start with a scooter. Um, Although I think it was always small displacement was uh, interesting to me. I had an old Kawasaki. I had a 1983 Kawasaki 550. And I was very excited to get this motorbike so I could like hit the freeway and like go somewhere. And very quickly realized that I was blasting past everything. And I think when I picked the vehicle to go on, you know, the big one with it was partly, I, I didn't really trust myself to be able to slow down on a larger bike and actually take my time. And also, like, a lot of people might feel like, actually, I've been asked, like, why didn't you take the motorcycle? It's an obvious choice. And I picked the bike that, I mean, I'm the one that's going to be sitting on this for thousands of miles. I just picked the one I like riding the most. <laughs> and it was my GTS. The scooter. Actually, it's a very comfortable bike. It's a sleeper. <laughs> The small community of people who have discovered that the GTS is like the Cadillac of scooters. It's just cushy. It's like sitting at your dining room table and twist it and explore. Keep up, too. I'm still intrigued with this this exploration bug in you that you're actually taking action on. I mean, a lot of people like to explore, but not very many people, especially women, take off solo on a scooter to go ride all over the country. Um so you really had a strong desire in there to do this. Probably a combination of things at the time. Um, I was living in Providence at the time, and I think I'd slipped into a very comfortable groove. I, I, I do believe that it's good to be outside of your comfort zone, and that's like challenges outside of your comfort zone. That's how you grow. So that was part of like that move against complacency, that like this would be a big way to do it. It was also very fortunate that I work in books. I work in publishing and I had handed in, I think, two books right before my planned departure. So this was a career that I could take with me. This was always meant to be a mobile career. Um, I just never imagined that it would be like trying to work out of a Vespa. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, figure it out. (laughs) I don't know. I think that's a large, large part of it. I was ready for a big change and I had read, I had read a lot of ride reports from other people who tour, just like extended, extended travel. And it's just, it sounded like something I wanted to do. <laughs> There's a lot more to it. It took me uh, at least a year and a half, like almost two years before of, of just planning and paring down um, before I actually took off. So this, uh, it's something that you said in there that really intrigues me is this urge to grow, to keep kind of pushing against the edge. I don't, I don't think those are your words, but it's, I think I paraphrase it. So describe that, and where do you think you got that from? Are your folks similar? Are your parents explorers? I mean, it sounds like you've lived in different places. Yes, 
Yes, we did travel a lot growing up, which I, I think I credit my parents to uh, for really, I don't know, ex expanding me and my sister's uh, worldview very early. So when we moved to Beijing, we took as a family, we took every opportunity, every like spring break or Christmas or whatever to travel somewhere new. And that was hugely formative for me. I did, and we continued this through like uh, while we lived in Beijing, explored a lot of Asia, Hong Kong, obviously, we have family in Singapore, and I think I've visited a lot of Southeast Asia, <laughs> a lot of Asia I've been fortunate enough to see growing up. And that's actually part of why I have like, oh, well, I'd, I'd like to explore this side of the earth. So traveling and exploring have always been a part of your, is it central to who you are, your experience growing up? Yeah, I think so. And I, I might have taken some of that for granted <laughs> growing up. Uh, like, I just assume everyone else has traveled extensively, but traveled some. Let's fast forward now to New York. You went to school in New York. You studied... Oh, I, I studied um, communication design in hopes that it would... Uh, in hopes of a freelance career so that this would be something, a uh, skill set I could take with me. <laughs> so this is intriguing. You have a visual design background too, right? So you kind of visually designed your trip, it sounds like. It's like, okay, if I'm... Right, but you can do that very quickly. I think um, BMW Club actually has like rides that it's like, oh, you visit the Four Corners. I deliberately set it up so that, yes, there are Four Corners, but I wanted to take the longest way around <laughs> to the Four Corners, <laughs> which I think I certainly succeeded. I think I reached the third corner in three months and then took another 11 months before I was finally like, okay, I guess I should finally motor on towards Lubeck. Another part that I find intriguing is this part, this desire to go slow instead of fast. You mentioned you had a 550 bike and said, you know, I don't want to just go screaming down the highway and like click off the corners. I want to slow down and explore. So talk about that from the interior perspective where do you find that what drives you to want to do that versus full throttle down the highway to the next point i guess part of that is in reaction to like a lot of times if you are um let's say you want to go on a motorcycle trip you might be confined to a long weekend uh, a weekend or a long weekend so by uh, by those constraints you kind of have to you kind of have to go fast you have to if you want to see all of these things that you want to see you're kind of rushing a little bit uh i feel very fortunate very lucky that i have a career that i can take with me so i can make my own schedule and that i certainly want to take my time then uh, i feel like uh, leaving a lot of room for 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 you to get anywhere <laughs> Um, that's, that's leaving a lot of room for any of the, uh, any of that road magic to start happening, like chance encounters with people that you end up, you know, if you have all, if you have all afternoon to talk, then you can talk all afternoon or you end up staying with them or it's also just much more relaxing to just say to yourself, I, I only need to go 150, 200 miles today. So when you were growing up, did you have, were you sort of like that anyway? Is that sort of innate to you to go a little bit more slowly and take in things a little bit more than just rush from point to point? Do you sort of deep dive into things? I, I think it might be more in response to uh, an adult pace, actually. That people are just like going, going, going. So you have a strong curiosity 
Describe that, this desire to explore. Can you talk about the feeling of that? Where does it touch you inside? When you, what do you feel when you think of exploring? Do you feel joy? Do you feel aliveness? Do you feel exhilaration? What do you, you know what I mean? Maybe uh, curiosity is essential for uh, exploration. It's. What's your relationship with it, though? That's what I'm curious about. I want to hear what you, hear what you feel. What so here's here's why I'm coming at it from this angle. I really believe that for the most part, we're actually driven not by what we think, but by what we feel. We're somatic beings. We're body-centered. In a sense, I kind of think we make decisions at a gut level without even being aware of it. And then the brain comes along with some sort of story to sort of justify what you already have made a decision about. So I'm curious to go underneath the layers of yeah, I was curious and more into what I was feeling is I just have this strong desire. Like my own experiences, I have this, I'm so happy when I'm on the road and exploring it. The new places, the new visions, the new, just seeing things in a different perspective is so um, eye-opening for me and it satisfies some. Yeah, it, it, if, if you're in a rut, it, it, that can get you out of your rut. It is very satisfying. I, I, I suppose you wouldn't do it if it wasn't satisfying. I don't know. I don't know how to describe that that as a feeling. Like a, when you're exploring, it's. I suppose. I suppose I don't really think of it that way. Of like, oh, I'm going out exploring now. It's. It's. Do you have a big smile on your face when you're doing it? It's definitely. It's a. It's a wonderful feeling to be going somewhere new. To be going somewhere at least new for for me or. Yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to put myself mentally in that place right now. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it's a little cold outside right now, so I haven't I haven't been able to go exploring as on, on a motorbike as much as I would like. What is your day-to-day like when you're on the bike? Okay, you're gone. How long do you actually travel for in a stretch? How many days or months or... So this is, um, I actually stay put for a long time, like mm-hmm. for stretches at a time. I think there was someone who was kind of like, oh, have you ever done like an iron butt? I'm like, oh, I definitely am. I'm not really interested in doing an iron butt. Just for those that are just, what is an iron butt? Iron butt is, um, I think it's a thousand miles. Yeah, in 24 hours. Four hours. Or 1,536. I actually go really slow and I like to poke around and I tend to stay in one place for a while. Uh, and it's partly because I, I, I just enjoy like if I, if I have the chance, I, I would love to stay in a place for like a week, two weeks. And that would be like the starting amount of time just to get a feel for the daily life there. I think when I had finally reached the West Coast in 2014, I stayed in the Bay Area, bouncing around the Bay but in the Bay Area for five months. Um, people were starting to ask, like, so are you living there now? So day-to-day, is it's different, uh, depending on whether I'm actively covering distance or if I hear back from my editor and I need to work, and then I start looking for a place to work. And then it's kind of like a normal work day. You show up and you have stuff to do. For days on the road, it's very refreshing because the problems that you deal with are very, they're immediate. It's kind of like, well, I'm low on gas. And so I need to get gas. I am hungry or I need to pee. So I need to find a place to eat or use a restroom. So I, there's definitely a simplicity to the road. That is, I mean, I think that appeals to a lot of motorcyclists. Uh, You're not worried about these larger, more nebulous issues. You're just worried about what's the road condition Will it rain? Where will I sleep? (laughs) 
So it kind of brings you to that right here, right now sort of thing, which is... Yeah, it keeps you in the moment, which is it's um, very refreshing. It's a very Zen thing, you know. It is like meditation. I think a lot of times I do think of uh, being on the bike, you get into a, this lovely this state that is kind of like a meditation. Where you are focused, you are paying attention to traffic, road conditions, everything around you, you're taking it in. But you're also, you're not worried about things that aren't immediately affecting you. You are definitely in the moment. So you're riding along, you're exploring, you're going from, I don't know, town to town, state to state, and then all of a sudden you find, you know, let's say you get a a job request or you just... City I like. (laughs) Yeah. What happens then? Do you find a place to live? Do you go to Airbnbs? Do you check Craigslist? Airbnb is a pretty good resource for when I want to stay in one place for a week or longer. Before I left, I knew that this would be like a pretty big lifestyle change. And originally, I had only planned to ride for like four months. Um, It was not originally part of the plan to still be travel, I guess, still be riding. Um, It just kind of I didn't find a reason to stop. I didn't realize how much uh, how much energy it would take to just like the logistics of finding places to stay all the time. And a lot of times, uh, I mean, I, I, I love, like, I, it's fantastic. I have friends all over the U.S. now. And I love meeting people. And I love uh, seeing like a little piece of other people's lives when, when I'm invited to stay with people. But then there's also like, if you do this constantly, there there's a time that I need to recharge. And I find that Airbnb is often the best bet because you can get like a weekly rate and lay low for a little while. And also like I I stay with family around uh, around the US quite a bit. Uh, In Cambridge, I'm at my boyfriend's. So very lucky to have uh, people all over. (laughs) I don't know what I'll do when I go overseas. (laughs) Make more friends, hopefully. So speaking of relationships, how does that work out when you're traveling a lot of the time on a scooter all over the country? Yeah, long distance is uh, is tough. It's always tough. But you're, you are doing it, though. What are some of your secrets to that? I don't know. I think uh, Fred, my boyfriend, is uh, very understanding. I think he met me in the context of travel. So uh, he kind of already knew that I want to go places <laughs> and that I have, at least right now, I, so far, I have a career that will let me do that. So, and it's fantastic. He actually, uh, he joined me on a GL <laughs> to ride from Austin to Vegas for a scooter rally. I think we took about two weeks to do it. Um, and we rode two people that way. Um, and he, he, he flies out to meet me. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have, I have any Find someone who understands. <laughs> Find someone who understands you. I feel like that's a generally a good idea. Yeah. No, you're not trying to make you something other than who you are. Um, okay. So you settle into a place, you work for a while, and then all of a sudden you realize it's time to move on again? I'm not sure. I, I feel like the, the, maybe it comes back to that curiosity. I, I've ridden around North America a lot. Maybe I should try another continent. It, North America was natural for me because it's just one huge landmass. It's you can do this overland. So now I guess I'm considering. Like where? South America, Africa. 
America sounds like a great place for motorcyclists right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Europe is interesting to me. I haven't really in- explored it very much, and a Vespa would be right at home there. <laughs> now my bike getting on and it's miles. So availability of spare parts is a, something to be considered. <laughs> so what have you learned? What have you observed about the United States, about America in your travels? And Describe this partially from that perspective of, you know, being being American, but also being Asian and seeing it through, I think, a unique perspective. What have you noticed that you like about America? What have you what have been some of your best experiences? What have been some of your more challenging experiences? America is very diverse. (laughs) Uh, even uh, like there are pockets that are very homogenized, but as a whole, uh, I mean, I can see why the country is so divided currently. It's just because people people come from a lot of different backgrounds, and uh, it's a diverse place. Generally, good uh, <laughs> life lessons taking away from this. People are generally good and generally want to help you as a traveler. I've had good experiences. Let me put a um, a situation that I'm sure has come up. You're you're traveling through the South. Let's say Arkansas or Mississippi or Alabama or you know someplace down there. You show up on this scooter, let's say in a smaller community, maybe thousand, two thousand, three thousand people. Pretty conservative down there. You show up. You pull your helmet off. You're Asian American. You have blue hair. You're on a scooter and you're just traveling solo. What do people make of you? What is the response people don't really know what to make of me uh very often people don't know what to make of me like i was saying earlier it's like the vespa itself looks so ridiculous you don't often see a vespa that has so much luggage on it that that's equipped for long hauls i mean it never occurred to me that traveling solo as a woman would be so unusual Um, like i came to it merely because i didn't know anyone else so (laughs) how else am i supposed to do this Generally, a positive response, like maybe slightly confused, <laughs> but always positive. So you pull into a diner, for example, okay, and you get some food. You go into a restaurant, and you got your motorcycle gear on. They watch you pull up. You come in. The good old boys are there hanging out on the counter and maybe some, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to picture what it looks like, what unfolds. It probably looks pretty funny. <laughs> this is like made for a movie. I think that's part of what I like about the Vespa. It's a friendly vehicle. Like, it's not threatening. You're probably not going to be threatened by a Vespa. And so when you catch people off guard like that, it opens you up for conversation. Like, even if it starts maybe slightly derisive of like, hey, do you want me to tow you along on that? Or how do you keep up? Man, lots of questions like that. I've almost forgotten. I've become kind of numb to it, maybe. (laughs) Because, uh, well, especially in, in, in parts of America where it's like big Harley land, people are looking for very different things out of their bike. And so to roll up on a vest, like um, I went to Sturgis in 2014. I rode to Sturgis. Just maybe explain what Sturgis is to people that don't know. It is the largest motorcycle gathering in the United States. Maybe the world. Maybe the world. I'd have to look that up. But it is massive. It takes over a tiny, an otherwise tiny town in South Dakota, and it floods it like in a 50-mile radius, just flooded with motorcycles. Tens of thousands of motorcyclists, right? And they're all on Harleys. 
Yeah, there's like 95% Harleys. And you start seeing signs like 100 miles out of like, welcome bikers. And I rode up on my Vespa. And I mean, everyone is very welcoming. I, I, hey, I rode this to Sturgis. When the big bikers look at you, how do they respond? It's like, well, that's not a Harley. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, but it, people are always very welcoming. I'm not really competing if I'm on a Vespa, maybe I'll put it that way. I don't need to feel a lot of any of the usual like biker chick stereotypes. I don't need to deal with that so much because I'm already on this, what's considered a toy to a lot of Americans. It's a good bike for me. It's comfortable. It's capable. It's, it gets 70 miles per gallon and you can do 70 miles per hour all day, but I don't want to anyway. Like that's the thing. That's, I think that's why it works so well for me. And it's, it's great too, because now that I'm more comfortable in how I like to travel, when I do take a bigger bike out, I'm still poking around. <laughs> I go slow. So I assume you're probably not taking the main highways, but you're more on the back roads wherever you're going. If I can help it, that's, that's how I prefer to travel. Uh, but it is really nice to have the option, especially in the U.S., because uh, so much, it's just huge. And there's just a lot of ground to cover. It's great to have the option to hop on a freeway. That 250 size is a really nice compromise. Uh, it was also born, Kawasaki was my first bike. I dropped it a number of times and I hated picking it up. It's a 480 pound bike and that's wow. not even with luggage on it. So I definitely wanted a bike that I could comfortably pick up on my own. And I think uh, a lot of people have mentioned that as a criteria for choosing a, choosing a bike. So let's go back um Maybe pick one of your great experiences, like take us to a specific situation where you met some people, you come into a town and like, what's it like? What, you know, describe one of those scenarios that really is one of your more fond memories of. One of my favorite kind of magical moments was in New Mexico. I, I think I'd planned to do maybe 150 miles that day. And about 70 miles in, I pulled into Zuni and saw a sign for tamales. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this seems like a good town, good time for tamales. And it was in someone's house. Like she just kind of made like blue corn tamales and it was like a dollar maybe that I was invited into the kitchen and just like ate a tamale in someone's kitchen. On the way out, uh, a woman who had also stopped to buy tamales was, you know, looked at me and looked at the bike and was like, oh, where are you from? Where are you going? Do you want to see something you've never seen before in your life? And I was like, yes, sure. And so she welcomed me into her home and uh, introduced me to her family. And it was hilarious because I think her son was kind of like, dad, she brought another one. So there was a precedent for this. And uh, that night they were doing uh, traditional dances in the old part of the town so you're talking native american native american yeah. yeah zuni dancing that you're not allowed to film there are lots of signs in that town for like no photography no video because they very much want to like this is this is a piece of them that is just for them so it was i was really an honor to be invited to old town square and to be able to witness really something that i had never seen before it was being magical is the best word i have for it it's very difficult to describe it was entirely entirely thanks to her hospitality and also because i had time i didn't have to go anywhere so sure i'll stay up with your son till like 1 a.m and watch 
watch dancing. It's hard to describe it as dancing, too. It, it's, uh, it's... Let's switch up a little bit, and you can only take so much stuff on a scooter or a motorcycle anyway. So what do you take, and what do you leave behind? And do you sort of have a systematic approach to this? Like, I've noticed when I motorcycled a lot, I had, I did this the Continental Divide ride, and I kind of broke it down into, like, I had my office section, I had my laptop and electronics and, you know, sort of the work stuff. And then I had what I called sort of the bedroom, which was the sleeping bag, tent, pad, and all of that. And then I had the kitchen you know, which was cooking gear and food and water. And then I had sort of the garage and all of that. Then I guess the other piece I had was, you know, the motorcycle gear, which was mostly was wearing in the tank bag, which had kind of the basic stuff that I went to all the time. But I had a systematic approach like that. And on a scooter and traveling like you do for longer periods of time, I mean, what do you take and what do you leave behind? I think it is a similar type of system. You have your sleeping arrangement. So I I didn't camp before I did I wanted to do this. I only learned how to camp because I knew that this would be part of traveling by motorbike around the US. So I'm a very uncomfortable camper. I don't know how to how I'm a city person. But, you know, I, I had the sleeping mat, uh, sleeping bag and a lightweight tent. Pretty basic camping stuff. I'm trying to fit this into larger systems. I did always have, uh, there are two places to lock things on the Vespa, under the seat and a top case, which I eventually replaced with a Pelican case because the uh, rectangular shape is, most top cases are made to hold like a spare helmet. So they're rounded. The rectangular shape of a Pelican was much more suited to my work because my laptop is a rectangle. All my electronics will fit better and be more secure in this Pelican. So my pack has actually evolved quite a bit over time. If you look in early photos of like how I set off versus what the bike looks like now. First of all, the bike now is much uglier. <laughs> it's yeah. picked up a lot of damage, a lot of battle damage, but uh, everyone packs differently. And I think over the course of three-ish years, things just, they just started to settle and they've settled pretty comfortably for me now. So what do you take, you know, in clothes in? I do take uh, my work stuff. So laptop, spare batteries. I had a small drawing tablet, like the external type, for minor editing and a larger a Cintiq that I typically don't carry with me um, because it's bulky and a little delicate. So that will typically be shipped from place to place depending on where I think I might be working. Kind of sums up the office. Uh, obviously, you have like spare parts and tools, which again is you just kind of dial dial in as you find things like extendable ratchets. A great find for me. And so you dial that in. Oh, what other? Uh, kitchen. I actually did not carry a kitchen, which uh, surprises a lot of people. I carry a soft cooler that I usually stock with yogurt, boiled eggs, breakfast stuff. But the soft cooler works well for me because I actually, I really like eating. I love food. I love eating whatever is local, whatever is around me. Sometimes that means I'm just eating like hamburgers for days on end because that's what is most available and also what's most affordable and probably a pretty good area for that. But I just take all the leftovers and I jam it in my cooler and that's how I continue to continue to live on my scooter without the aid of a camp kitchen. That might change one day. I don't, I, I'm not sure. And then what about the wardrobe department? The wardrobe is trickier because I have to carry everything at all times. So I'm carrying everything from hot weather gear to like my silk liners for cold weather. Typically not doing a lot of riding when it's extremely cold, but it's nice to have that if you're doing like 
mountain passes down to a desert. I've gone through my entire gamut of, of my gear in a single day by going mountain to desert. I think the longest I had gone between laundry was about a week, maybe mm -hmm. just over a week. And it was, it only worked because I went from somewhere hot to somewhere cold. You're limited in how much you can carry. So the uh, quick drying stuff. Synthetics and... Merino wool. Um, actually, this hoodie I've had for three years now, I think. It's a merino hoodie that... I hope this isn't too gross, but I've never washed this. <laughs> and yet somehow it's magically... Like it looks okay, it looks presentable, and it doesn't smell. It's definitely frayed. It's it's. I've repaired it a number of times now. But yeah. uh, it's one of those things that I, I lived in this sweater for multiple winters. This was just like yeah, I basically lived in it. And you live in most of your clothes. I was joking earlier how like I, I'm I'm like a cartoon character. I wear the same outfit every day. I kind of enjoy not having to think too much about what I'm going to put on. You wake up and you check the weather and go, oh well, it's a little cold. I'll put on a base layer. I've only got one or two, so maybe I only have one that's clean. And then you go about your day. Okay, let's go into um, your drawings. You said, I know one of the things you mentioned is you did a drawing per day for, I think, 450 days. Why don't you talk about that project? What was the inspiration? What? Actually, a specific book that inspired me to do that. It's uh, Mo Willems, who is more known for his children's book illustrations um, for like the Don't Let the Pigeon Drive a Bus. Fantastic guy. He's lots of fun. Uh, but before he um, became the Mo Willems at most families know. He took a year off and backpacked around the world and he did one drawing a day. I think I have the book here somewhere. It's you can't you can't get a rickshaw in a monsoon. That was basically it. It was one drawing a day to capture that feel of slow travel of of how like one day might be completely packed that like let's say for me one day I might just be like nose to the grindstone 300 miles I've just got to cover some distance. It's desert. There's nothing here. And then the next day, maybe it's a city. So you're meeting lots of different people and you have this very compressed experience. And then after that, maybe it's three days of just um, you're resting. Maybe you're waiting to hear back from an editor. Maybe you just need a little break. So all you do is stay, hang around the hostel and take a nap, read a book. That flexibility is, it's, it's fantastic when you can do that. And I think uh, Mo Willems captures it in his collection of illustrations by doing one per day. You just pick one moment. And it's a hard exercise. If you have a very full day and uh, many amazing things happen, it's hard to pick that just one. So how do you pick the one? Just do it. it I made a commitment to myself to do this. So it's, it's actually, I think, the longest commitment that I've ever honored to myself. <laughs> like people go on diets and maybe break diets in a week or whatever. But this was one that was very important to me. So I have one drawing for every single day until I reached that fourth corner. So what are, if you sort of go back and look at that whole collection of drawings or is there a pattern to them like what are the most common drawings what are um i don't know what do you see when you look at that body of knowledge that body of work fortunately it's such a large body of work that it's hard to uh, look at it all at once mm. i actually need to find a convenient way to present that in one visual entity or to like pick out some highlights for both sides of that type of experience for all of the days that are really full and all the days that are quite peaceful and restful describe your style of drawing is it line drawing is it like watercolors pastels or 
they are usually done in pencil and then I'll go over it in a brush pen. So they're all black and white and I have a number of different technical pens. So some microns, some brush pens, some like big fat brush pen so that you can get a nice line variety. So um, ink drawings would be what the final. So you start them as a, is an analog product, so to speak, a real world product on pen on paper, and then you convert them to digital or what? Uh, for all of the daily drawings, they are, I draw them in a hardback sketchbook, and then I take a photo with my phone, improve the uh, contrast a little bit, and upload it from there. So all of the 400 plus drawings that are on my blog are photos of my sketchbook. So do you retouch them once you transfer them from they go online I, I i don't i don't really have a good way to retouch them so every all of the mistakes that you see like when you see me like scribble out things yeah that's because i couldn't retouch it i just like cross it out <laughs> it also means some of these drawings are pretty messy it's like uh i i very early on gave up the idea of uh, being able to draw the day that I'm experiencing this. This is definitely, uh, I need to set aside time to do this. And it's usually like two or three days after the fact. Um, I'll be drawing about two or three days ago. So there's a little bit of a lag. I think at one point the lag got to be like weeks, maybe a month. I was quite behind. <laughs> but I always took notes for what I thought I would like to draw. And so I always knew what I would pick for that day. What did you learn about yourself in those 450-odd days of drawing after drawing after drawing, that kind of commitment? What did it illuminate within you? What did you learn about yourself? How did you grow? How did you, that daily commitment to something that it was important to you, the documentation, the capturing, the, the drawing, yeah. It was definitely important to me, but also sharing it online was the other major component. It wouldn't be the same if I couldn't share this online. And part of that comes from the ride reports that inspired me, that like gave me that itch to go out and explore. And that made it possible for me. Um, ride reports that have information about how you might go about doing this. So putting my experiences online, I hope to inspire other people, or at least to make it possible like to have hopefully other people think like oh well if she's managed this then maybe i can so there was always going to be an interactive element there was, these were not drawings that i wanted just to like keep in my own personal journal i think what you're kind of saying is you're both an explorer and a messenger or a um a docu you know you're a documenter and you're documenting your own adventure but you're also um sharing this to what inspire to I hope so. Yeah. If the, to inspire anyone that thinks that they might want to try something like that, maybe not to such an, an extreme scale. Mm -hmm. um, you really don't have to pack up your life and give up your apartment, which is what I did. And partly why I'm still going is just like, well, I kind of already got rid of the apartment. So, but you can do this on a smaller scale. You, you <laughs> but so there, I think one of the things I find intriguing is there's a full circle in this. There is or full cycle, you go and explore, but then you share it, and obviously you get feedback from that. So I used to be a, I'm projecting into this, and you stop me if I'm wrong on this, but I was a photojournalist, and I worked at newspapers where I'd go out, and 
I lived in a small town, Sun Valley, Idaho, where I worked on a number of papers. And when I lived there, I got into outdoor recreation and I would go on these mountaineering adventures and ice climbing and whitewater kayaking and things like that. And I would take my camera along, especially ski mountaineering. I really like that. And it was such a, there was the thrill of being on the edge, you know, going out there and exploring these mountainous areas and kind of being out there where not a lot of people go or doing something that not everybody's doing. And then to go capture that too and bring that back and then share the beauty of what I found with others. And part of what motivated me to do that, and I go back to the somatic feeling of this, was it completed a... um, If I could use two words to describe myself, it would be explorer and messenger. And in fact, that's kind of relevant to what we're doing here. I'm curious about your story. We're exploring your story and then sharing it, right? And it completes a cycle in me that just feels right. It's like if I don't do that sharing component, it's a little amiss. Yeah, it feels incomplete. I can identify with that. That was, it's, Definitely. And it's partly because I, I feel like maybe this is my way of giving back a bit because I got so much out of other ride reports. Well, here's my contribution to the pile. Maybe it will help someone else. Okay, let's go on to big takeaways. Big lessons you've learned in all of this travel about you, about life. Thankfully, people seem mostly good. Other large takeaways. I don't want to sound too hippy-dippy about this, but things will generally work out. How do I explain this? It's one of those, like, I think uh, before I left, I, uh, I'd be nervous about things like, uh, what will I do if my bike breaks down, uh, flat tire, whatever. And there's a very obvious rational process to that. Well, if it's a flat, then you fix a flat. You have the kit, you have it on your bike, you'll figure it out. If you really can't do this, you also have, you can look for a tow. It doesn't necessarily allay your fear, though, because you still have this, like, nervousness. How do I bring this back around? It's like to, it will generally, generally it will work out though. When you do break down, you will figure it out and you can have a lot more faith in yourself. So have, you've learned to have deeper faith in yourself through this and that things will work out. Do you what? Do you have to kind of let go of a certain amount of control and just go? So definitely a part of, travel i think is um is being vulnerable so if you are completely invulnerable you're almost a little closed off to a number of new experiences um even like experiences like having people help you if you don't need any help then you don't have a chance to meet a lot of people for better or for worse sometimes it's like when you are uh let's say run out of gas or whatever if when someone shows up with gas then you wouldn't have met that person if you hadn't Uh run into some trouble and a lot of times have friendships come out of that or just like a really good conversation or just meeting people is like a lot of what brings meaning to otherwise what would be endless number of miles that you just cover ground so being vulnerable is definitely you should allow yourself to be vulnerable you need to be vulnerable and actually can invite a lot of new fantastic experiences what else if you could write the letter back to yourself 10 years ago you're going to write a letter back to yourself 10 years ago before you started this when did you start doing this how long ago uh i left rhode island in 2014 so so that's only been three and a half years. Ago. 2010, so seven years. Okay, so let's say you could write a letter back to yourself 10 years, seven years ago. 
and you could write down the three most important things to impart to yourself that you didn't know then, that you know now, that you wished you knew from this perspective. It will be okay. It is worth pursuing the things that um, you feel strongly about, and it will be okay. It will be okay. Expand on that. Because I think a lot of reason that people don't set out to leave their comfort zone is out of fear. And fear of the unknown is that's a perfectly understandable fear. But thinking back, it is hard for me to pinpoint, like I wouldn't be able to describe exactly what it is that I'm afraid of. And I think that is when I knew that this is not necessarily a rational fear. And this is something that perhaps is worth digging into. <laughs> okay, so that's one thing you'd write back to yourself. It, it will be okay. What else? You have to have a picture of like, what would it look like if it was not okay? I, and I couldn't have a picture of that. So clearly it should be okay. Uh, what else? Um, every uh, The other skills, you can learn them along the way. And I think that's another important thing to, to just be able to trust that you're capable of learning as you go. Things like I was not mechanically inclined uh, when I left. My family is definitely, they're, they're not car people. They're, they don't wrench on things. So I have no background, <laughs> no background in camping, no background in tooling on my bike. Uh, like other people were still doing my oil changes before I left. <laughs> and these were things that I knew that I would feel much more comfortable if I had some ability in. So I went on some camping trips and I learned how to work on my bike. Just start from like very basic to like now, which is um, three and a half years later, that I'm considering doing an engine swap on my Vespa, which is something that I certainly would not have considered. I, I wouldn't have thought that would be something I would think of doing when I first started. And those are all skills that I picked up along the way. Out of necessity, too. <laughs> can't afford to keep bringing this to Vespa dealers. So I'm thankful for all of the, uh, all, all of the people who have helped me learn. <laughs> so uh, to summarize that, it sounds like you don't need to have everything figured out when you take off. I think and, that's a very good way to put it. It's, um, I think someone else has mentioned that you'll never be ready and you should do it anyway. And I think that's precisely that 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 rings true for me. I have never felt ready. I, even today, like when I'm setting off for kind of a big trip, like I recently went on an all women's motorcycle tour of Pakistan. Uh, that is a pretty, that's pretty out there for a lot of people. A lot of people would balk at the idea of even visiting Pakistan, not to mention doing it on a motorbike, not to mention doing it in a group of, with a group of women. You know, I was, uh, I was nervous for a lot of reasons, but I don't know, it brings me some peace to remind myself. It's like, oh, well, I'll never be ready for that. I will get there and I'll figure it out. And mm -hmm. so uh, for anyone else who is thinking of starting out, I think that's good advice. It's just, you, you won't be ready. You'll never be ready. If you wait until you're ready, you'll never go. So just do it anyway. I mean, obviously take the precautions to like, don't, don't go about this completely blindly. At least know how to operate a motorbike if you plan on riding around the country on a bike. But aside from that, like the other, the emotional insecurity of like, oh, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if I'm cut out for this or if I'm ready for it. I think you can ignore that and just go ahead and do it. <laughs> you'll find that you'll be ready when you're confronted with the issues that you're facing. And it's a wonderful thing to be challenged like that because that's what keeps you in the moment. That's when you know that you're engaged. So yeah, you'll never be ready. <laughs> go to another question then. How, have, how has all of this experience changed you? 
I think I'm much more laid back in a way. I think I do have a greater sense of faith that things will work out and that I don't need to plan things down to a T because I, I do tend to like to have a plan. I know myself well enough that it's difficult for me to just be turned loose in the same way that like if you handed me a blank sheet of paper and told me to draw something, that is a terrible thing to do to me. I really hate it <laughs> because it's, it's completely blank. I work much better within parameters. So this is why I chose four corners. Given that, I'm, that's like, okay, we've got like a framework here. That doesn't mean I'm going to take the shortest path to all four corners. I kept GPS tracks for everywhere that my bike has gone <laughs> since leaving Rhode Island. I have a GPS track for it. And you can plot it all on one map. And it looks like, have you ever taken, um, if you've ever unraveled knitting, you've got mm -hmm. all those like squiggly lines. Uh -huh. So you plot this like red map on North America and it's just like someone took a ball of yarns, all squiggles, dropped it on the map. It, it looks <laughs> ridiculous. There's some like really hilarious dead ends too of like, oh, I went to Des Moines and thought it was pretty good and then just went back. So there's like just a little line poking out there. And uh, a lot of other places where it's just like the Northeast is also, it's densely populated. So the Northeast is just like one huge snarl of red. But also California, up and down the coast, there's just that whole thing is, I've done that several times. Been very lucky to be able to ride the Pacific Coast Highway many times. Great. It gives you a sense of just like this great visual sense of how much territory, how much ground you've covered. And I think that's, that's a little rewarding for me. Day to day, it's hard to get a sense of what you're doing sometimes especially when you're like if you're around other people who a little out there to like you know pack up your life pare down your belongings and then go ride for months and months years it's nice to be able to have this one map that's like well here's one visual representation of what i've gotten up to and why maybe not why <laughs> okay let's go back to the main title of this what really matters in life to you now it's a tough question that's a tough question for anyone. Now, I never said it was going to be an easy interview, but I think these are really core questions that are... Core questions. I want to say people, like uh, relationships with people, really give meaning to a lot of travel because that's really, aside from just the geography and the road that you're moving along, it's people that brings you, like introduces you to uh, a different culture or people who might help you or that maybe you might inspire people that you form friendships with and then like maybe hang on to those friendships for many years to come connecting with people yeah okay what else biggest life lessons here to the life lessons yeah actually let's go down to this one too because i think this is such a big part of uh, motorcycle riding is um what do you need and what do you not need you've learned to really pare it down to what matters and stuff right and I don't mean what's your clothing list, but what are the things you really need to live a... Um... A meaningful life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is... Uh, the motorcycle is actually a very good tool for that um, because it does force you to look at what's in your life and weigh what is important to you. And the things that are important to you are the ones that you'll take with you. I think for a lot of extended overland travelers, uh, you'll find that stuff is usually not high on that list. Um, material possession is, you kind of realize you don't need very much of that. <laughs> it's great when you have the right stuff. Like I, I definitely want my warm weather 
like my warmest gear if I'm doing a mountain pass in Colorado. So the right stuff about finding the right, I don't know, the right things, the right, maybe even the right people. <laughs> like uh-huh. when, you meet, when you meet influential people and like you might meet them for just, you know, a day, an afternoon. And that particular interaction with that person will have such an impact on you that you, you'll carry that with you for, uh, for a long time, even though you might have only spent like, you know, a couple hours chatting with this one or two people. Uh-huh. So again, we're coming back to like, connection. I don't know. Yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, the motorcycle is not the only tool that helps to filter that down. And really, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like a focusing lens because it it limits you. And again, like I feel like I thrive under that kind of limitation. It's better for me to like let's start with a smaller bike where I'm not just going to blast through everything. All right, let's start with a bike where I can't carry a lot of. I can't carry everything. Let's start with the United States. Uh, that's a pretty big area, but it's good to like, we'll start there. We can grow from there. Okay. Another one that I think you mentioned, and this could be a fun exploration is magic. Allow for magic. Yeah, definitely leave room for magic that it would be, I don't want to say it would be a boring trip. If you plan a motorcycle getaway and uh, everything goes according to plan. It doesn't sound very exciting to me. <laughs> I mean, it could be. It, it, maybe for someone else, that would be like the perfect trip. But I would recommend to always leave room for a mishap, for a misadventure. And often that makes for the best experiences, or at least like a very good story, mm-hmm. as long as you're not coming to like terrible harm. <laughs> so leave room for magic. Final question. Somebody else that wants to do this or is thinking about it, Well, this could apply to men and women, but since you're a woman that's traveled around, yeah, you're female, done this whole adventure thing, what tips would you have for others that are thinking about doing it? Extended motorcycle trip? So we could break that down into two parts. One would be the extended motorcycle trip, but another would be just something big. You know, like this is big. Doing a motorcycle adventure is big, but they may have their own, maybe it's a hike the Pacific Crest Trail or two you know, go visit some country like that they've never been to and they're, they've never left their state before, even their town. Definitely. I think, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of other people have said this, but um, picking a date is really a good way to start. Just commit to a date and like tell family and friends like this is, this is, this is it. Otherwise, it's very easy to just like keep putting it off. So pick a date. That would be a great place to start. And like pick a realistic date. Uh, maybe not like tomorrow if you don't have a driver's license and you want to ride a Jeep around the world or something. So do some research into how long it would take to be about ready to go. Again, you'll never really be ready, but about ready. And then pick a date. Again, that comes back to you'll never really be ready. I still don't feel ready a lot of times for any sort of big endeavor. It's uh, Or even small endeavors of like, oh, I've totally ridden around you know, New Hampshire before. And still it's like, okay, a little bit nervous. But having a date to stick to and to work against, to plan against that date is, I think, I found it I, very helpful. Okay, so having a date and committing to it, what else? Being okay with fear or nervousness because that is completely normal. (laughs) If you're going somewhere outside of your comfort zone, I think it's pretty natural that you'd be nervous or a little fearful or like have some anxiety over it. And how can they do that? What's the process or do you have any tips on how to do that? 
I feel like accepting it is probably the best, uh, the best response to that. I think for me, maybe recognizing that um, if I couldn't describe what exactly my worst case scenario is, I don't really have a, it's, it's not a very rational fear then. If I have come up with like, oh, this is, you know, this would be the worst, um, like I'm broken down in the rain or whatever, um, and there's no one around to help me. And then to like, think about that and like, what exactly what I do there. And to realize that I, I could probably figure something out. <laughs> if it is, if it's life threatening, it's kind of like, well, obviously don't go into the desert without water. <laughs> like, don't be foolish, but definitely don't succumb to fear just because you're experiencing some fear. So kind of face, accept the fear, face the fear and do it anyway, or... Um... Kind of do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe people underestimate how often I am afraid. Maybe afraid is not the right word for it, uh, but, you know, I, I do get nervous before setting off. Apprehensive? Apprehensive, maybe, yeah. There's still, like, a little bundle of butterflies, a little, and that's part of what's so exciting about it is that still has gets a bit of a response. And I think that, I don't know if I want that to go away. I think that's part of the process. Mm -hmm. So knowing that and knowing that that doesn't mean that, you know, this is a terrible idea and you shouldn't do this. Knowing that just having some of those butterflies is actually a good thing. Maybe that's helpful for some people. And anything else? And I think I think a lot of times you'll pick up skills as you go. So having faith in having faith in yourself, uh, trusting yourself to be capable uh, goes a long way. Okay. And that's a difficult thing. Uh, that's a very difficult thing to internalize. <laughs> okay. So if people want to learn more about you, where can they go on the web to learn more about this? So I have my blog is at 250superhero.com. Um, so that will have all of my daily drawings, all 430 or whatever. I had some um, comics too about the, the process before I took off. So some of the paring down and some of like the getting ready, I guess. So there's a lot of drawings there. And I also uh, continue to do photo journal posts. So there's still dates from my latest travels uh, up to Alaska. And where can they see that? All of that is at 250superhero.com. Okay, so that's the best place to go to. Probably, yeah. If you're interested in my uh, professional work, you can just look up my name, Stephanie Yu, and stephanieyu.com is my portfolio site, or you can just like type it into Amazon. And all of the books with my name on it will show up. <laughs> okay. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. And um, wow, it's, this is exciting. I really enjoyed this exploration. I will post some links, uh, hopefully, wherever. Uh, this will be visible on my own website, um, whatreallymattersinterviews.com, and uh, there should be podcast notes and things like that. Thank you for your time and, you know, allowing us to ex have a look into this, a peek into this life of yours that is really intriguing and inspiring. Thank you for chatting with me. I hope I managed to answer some of your questions. <laughs> I think you answered a lot of them. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. You can listen to this and all my other podcasts at whatreallymattersinterviews.com.